This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello. I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to Late Boomers. Today, our guest is the multi-gifted Mark Bradford, author, inventor, web developer, relationship and dating expert, podcast host, speaker, and life coach. And I'm Mary Elkins. Mark has written a number of fiction and nonfiction books. His most recent work is a fiction duet that won the audiobook reviewer's best new author of 2020. He's a single father and an expert on time management. He built a dating site from scratch, and we're excited to learn more, Mark. Welcome. Well, thank you. That, that all sounds very wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> what was it in your background that led you to pursue such a diverse professional life? Well, that's, such a, that's, that's a great question. What a, what a wonderful starting question, because that's the crux of where I went with everything, is that question I had to ask myself. Because there was a point at which I thought, okay, Mark, Maybe you need to grow up. What, what, are, you, what are you doing here? <laughs> you're, you're in all these different directions. You know, you're doing the dating site thing and you have this, you know, you're a full stack web developer, whatever that is, and, and all this other stuff in your writing and you're in fiction and nonfiction. And I realized that once I realized what my core abilities were, it explained everything. And my core ability is to see things from a perspective other people typically don't, and then augment, create, build, or fix. And that's explained everything. The dating was broken. Broken. I looked at the five top dating sites, and they all were backwards. So I Ooh. had to build one. I um I I had uh, I had built things in the past for for my skill set, and and so on and so forth. And all that stuff just stemmed from there. That's yeah. fascinating because I don't think people realize if they're very few people are that diverse in their professional lives. But that's it's really good to know that. <laughs> about yourself. Yeah, I, I really do think it's important and not to jump in uh, to step on what you were saying. But I think recognizing what your core skills are, is really what can help you to keep pursuing things. And that way, you won't get so daunted and think, well, why did this turn out really well? Why did this not? What? Why do I keep doing this thing? Why is this fun? This mundane task that people would think is not fun at all? Why do I like that? And if you figure out where this core skills coming from, it, it helps even to motivate you. That's so intuitive. Uh, most people don't recognize what their core skills are. They just go on and figure out what there is in front of them, really. Um, I understand you are a single father. What was it like to raise two children by yourself? And you must have faced a ton of challenges with that. What kind of challenges did you face? Y yes, I did. Actually, they're, they're launched now. And both uh, one, uh, one of my daughters in, in college, just finishing them up, uh, up, and my son just got engaged. And oh, so, congratulations. Wow. Thank you so much. I, I guess I'll start off by saying I was the wrong gender because... <laughs> 
the assumption wasn't on my shoulders that I was doing the right thing, that I knew what I was doing and all that stuff. I had run into a lot of, well, I was chased out of at least two dressing rooms with my daughter and I wasn't in the dressing room, but, but she was going through prom and things like that. And she really wanted me to see her dresses and things. And she didn't want to keep walking out. So she said, come over here. And I remember I was at a um, particularly popular place and a woman, the woman running it walked over to me and she said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait out here. You're making the other women nervous. And I thought, oh, okay. I mean, I, you know, I didn't have a book on like how to be a single parent or anything like that. You know, it, 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 raising a son and especially a daughter comes with a lot of challenges. I can only do so much and I can only be so much of a mom because I'm not a mom. And so I sat down and my daughter was very frustrated with that. And uh, the only woman who was there, mind you, came over to me and she, she patted my leg and she said, my, husband, my boyfriend raised his daughter since she was four. You didn't make me nervous at all. So the, the woman had said it to me just to kind of chase me away or something. So, you know, things like that had happened a lot. It was, it was very challenging. Juggling my business and my kids was a challenge. And actually, it was me taking my kids to a psychologist to make sure that they were okay. Because, you know, I only know so much and I don't want to be Ben Kenobi creating Darth Vader, you know, with good intentions. <laughs> so I... Uh, when I when I took them to the psychologist and they said they're she said they're remarkably well adjusted for considering what's going on in the background and so forth. She said, "You're doing everything you can for them." And I thought, "Well, great, I can leave now." And she said, "But Mark, what are you doing for you?" And that's when I stared ahead, like the whole deer in the headlights. I wasn't doing anything for me. And that's when I realized, if there's nothing left of you, there won't be anything left for the people in your life. And that's where the whole. I need to have balance, time, energy, and resources. All that great stuff came out of there. That's fantastic. Did you write a book about that too? I did. Ah. Uh, so that's what my so that's what my uh, so that's what my podcast is based on. It's it's alchemy for life, time, energy, and resources. And, and the people listening can't see, but that's why flasks are fairly prominent in my office and and on my mugs and things like that. So uh, I, I think of life as you get this flask. And in the morning, it's filled, and it's filled with time, energy, and resources. And all day long, we spill some out. We spill some out for our job, for our friends, for our hobbies, cooking dinner, cleaning the house, our relationships. And then sometimes it's 7 o'clock, and you're like, oops, it's empty. Um, and, and those are the days where we're really wiped out. So the book is about time, energy, and resources and how we can kind of manipulate that, maybe even cheat a little bit just to get more out of life. And that's what the book, it's called Alchemy for Life, Formulas for Success. Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You built your own dating site too. Tell our listeners about the process. And also, do you have any advice for finding love on a dating site? Phew. Okay. So I did because when I, when I, when I found myself divorced and, and, and went through the process of of dating and going on dating sites, I found they were all backwards. So I thought, well, I guess I have to make one. And so I designed one from the ground up to sort of mirror what real life is like, because really the dating sites should really help you to uh, find, it should be a database that helps you to find people quickly, right? So like if you walk into a Starbucks, a dating site is like a Starbucks filled with people of the proper age and intention and gender that you're interested in, right? But in real life, you may some, see someone that you're very attracted to, but then you find they're married or they're, you know, you're out of sync or, or what happens uh, or what have you. So 
I built a dating site to mirror a little bit more of real life so that you could go step by step by step. So that first you kind of look at someone and then you see if you want to have small talk, just like at a Starbucks, you're going to, you know, if you're in line with someone, you say, oh, hi there. You know, you, you don't say, so what's your religion? <laughs> How much <laughs> money do you make? How many children do you have? Right. You don't jump into those things, but the dating sites do. In fact, yeah. some people's profiles, they get, they, they, they get a little bit out of hand and they tell you everything there's to know about them. And that's not the way it works in real life. You just want, you just have that little spark of attraction and then you go from there. And then uh -huh. you see you know, if they're interested and so forth. You, you know, do they smell good when you stand next to them and all that good stuff? You know, all those little things that we have. And we are amazing, amazing computers. I mean, we can sweep an entire room and go, I think that person's attractive. And the amount of things that you just weighed is insane. It's incredible. Uh, you know, things like how they carry themselves, their hair. Uh, if, you know, for women, height is a big thing sometimes and so on and so forth. All that stuff, you just, you calculate all that stuff and you say, that's an attractive person. And we, we basically choose someone in about seven seconds, whether we like them or not. Mm. And that was the premise. On that, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the premise of the site was only a glance. So that's what was called only a glance was the name of the site because it, all it takes is a glance to look at someone and say, hello, what's all this then? uh-huh is it still operating it's on it it is it's gone through a number of iterations um the problem is that the the top dating sites are all owned by the same company match group so they own mm. chemistry they own match they own tinder uh they own mm. chem uh and so forth they own black people meet on and on and on and on Eight, 18 sites 18 of the top sites and the thing that's fascinating is that if one company buys another company they typically make that other company go away yeah. because they're cutting mm -hmm. their own throat not so for the dating sites they do that intentionally because their their intentions are rather nefarious because you may go on tinder and go oh this is just not the kind of people i want this isn't working i'll try chemistry <laughs> it's the same company and same thing i'll try match same company so you're giving them oh, money no. three, three separate times over and that's why they don't close one in lieu of another one unfortunately hmm. yeah i want to back up a little bit back to being a single father because I missed a question I wanted to oh, ask you. Of course. How did that provide you with the expertise in time management that you have? Because oh. you're you're purportedly a time management expert, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I, I guess definitely purportedly because I don't really say that anymore, but I appreciate oh. you saying that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'd, li I'd like to think I've learned quite a bit about it, but I, I, I don't know. I, I really stay away from the word expert in, 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 in many ways and many things. And I, mm -hmm. and I typically, I think that's dubious when I hear that for other people's titles, but regardless of that, I, it, it taught me about balance. It taught me the importance of the things we call self-care and self-love now, because they're not intuitive. We don't think to take care of ourselves, especially when we're a new single parent and you know, mm -hmm. my kids were with me full time. So that was it. It yes. was just me. So and how old, old were they at the time? Nine and 12. Oh, wow. almost teenagers. Almost. Well, yeah. Th that was to come. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And, and, and very different. A, a boy and a girl, uh, very different. So uh, that taught me a lot about time management when it came to giving them my time and my energy, but saving some for myself so that there was more left for them. So, you know, it, it, it's easy to become very hyper-focused on a thing. I mean, obviously I wanted to make sure I didn't screw up. I wanted to make sure they were okay. 
So, mm-hmm. I, so, but you can easily fall into the trap of you're so focused on that, that, that you lose who you are. Mm-hmm. Why don't you please tell us about the dating card game oh. that you created? Sure. Does it really represent how dating works and who, who should play this? So the, the card game I, I sort of created on a lark because I, I see game mechanics in most parts of life. I see that everything is kind of a game. And, and I don't mean that you shouldn't take it seriously. You should take things very seriously. But I, I saw it as sort of a game. So basically the, 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 the motto of the, of the game is date down, marry up. And so it all goes back to a series of books. Oh, it's a series now because the third is coming out. It's, it's a series of books called The Status Game. And that is actually not only the title of the book, which is about relationships, but it's also the title of the card game. And essentially what you do is you're building up your status. So the higher status you have, the more desirable you are, just like in, in life. And maybe I should back up and explain status a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So, Tell so, us the name of the game too. What's the name yeah, of it? The status game. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, it's literally the Same status name game. as the book. Yeah. Okay. And so it is, so status is is how all our relationships work uh, with, with your daughter, your boss, your peers, uh, your clients, your sister, your parents. It's all status, and it's all status in in two ways. One, I'm not just saying hi. You know, I'm the emperor of the moon, so I'm uh, wow. You know, I can't wait to to see this guy or a movie star or something like that. It's also status as if you have a dashboard in front of you. So in your car, you have this dashboard of gauges, right? And the most important gauge is the biggest one. It's the one that has speed, the one that's going to kill you. So then they get smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And because they get less and less important, but they're still important. So I believe we have a dashboard with our gauges and our gauges reflect the things we're interested in. So you may be attracted to someone who is kind. You may, because especially something happened in your previous marriage, you went through a horrible time. So kindness is really important or loyalty is important. Or like I said, for women height or, or, um, you know, jubilance or somebody who's very active and somebody who's very exciting and has a lot of energy, you'll have these little gauges. And if somebody registers high enough, you're, you're attracted to them. And so in the game, I also reflect that I have cards that show tall and, and extremely attractive and good job and so forth. But then there's also cards that have, you know, a, a bad job. Or if you have a good job, you can draw the card that says that you are a workaholic. So that's the risk of a good job because you might become a workaholic. And then I have cards for um, baggage and I have long distance relationship card. And then I have two fun special cards, which they look identical. And one is harmless communication and, um, and basically the equivalent of cheating. So, um, and those you can pass to someone at any time. So basically the crux of it, and I know I've rambled here, I'm sorry. The, the crux yeah. of it. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> I want to get it. Yeah. The crux, the crux of it basically is that I ask you to date me in the game. And so now we're dating. And then I ask you to marry me. If I ask you to marry me and your status is higher than mine, then I just won. If huh. my status is higher then you just won. And so mm. it, it's, and that's just basically the way that the game works. It's, you know, it's tongue in cheek and so forth, but it's fun. The people that have played it have said they typically play it and then they stop playing it and then they talk about it for the next three hours. <laughs> so oh. I, I think I think it creates a tremendous amount of 
discussion about things like like small children and this and long distance relationships because people like to talk about it and opine on yeah this is exactly what happened to me and so on and so forth it's just really interesting yeah it that's sounds, great it sounds it is it is it mainly for couples to play or can all the same gender play or yeah that's the, that's the great thing about it is i took it to a few meetups when i was uh, researching and to see you know what people would think of it <clears throat> and there were two gentlemen who i uh um, who probably weren't going to be dating each other. They were just, they were just straight males, but they ended up dating in the game. Right. <laughs> and uh, didn't know each other from Adam. And at one point, one of the gentlemen passes a card to the, another gentleman and the, 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 the man he's dating looked at him and then everyone just sort of froze. Cause this is a big guy. Right. And, and he went, you look like you were upset. And he said, I was, I was jealous. <laughs> And, and because he didn't know which card he passed, was it harmless communication or was he going to cheat on him? And it was just so funny to be able to generate emotions like that in these strangers who would never probably not even be friends, let alone be dating. It was just hilarious. Oh, that's, wow. that's fascinating. But I mean, women could play it with each other that might want to oh, meet men. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. There, there is a, there is a gender card in the beginning. You know, the, the deck basically has a male and female card in it. And, and basically you get slightly different status with one versus the other sort of thing, just to mix things up a little bit. But otherwise, yeah, it's, it's just for a group of people. Basically, um, f it works better with five or more, typically, because you um, want to mix that up a bit. Oh, okay. Actually, that that puts an interesting spin on it, because it, it just... Yeah, five is an odd number, but you can mm -hmm. play it with five. That's interesting. But it puts an interesting spin on it, because it helps you to learn more about the opposite sex. Or right. those that you're interested in. Right. Exactly. And, and the, the, the one last thing on it, the interesting thing is sometimes people will get their hand. This is what I found with millennials. Millennials will get their hand and they'll look at it and go, oh, this isn't me. Well, right. It's a, it's a game. You know, just like when you play a video game, you're not a guy with a, with a rifle running around, right? But people who are older get that the cards don't represent who they are. They're just the hand that they were dealt quite literally, but it, you know, so you can be somebody who has little kids and a bad job and this and that and so forth. Mm. Well, mm -hmm. So you, you relay a very interesting story about the game, but do you have any dating stories you can divulge to our audience? So unfortunately I have a good top 10 worst dates. That's how, oh. that's how, that's how much I've gone through. And wow. Um, We'd so love the, to the, hear them. The first, I bet you would. <laughs> the first one, the first, the, the first book I wrote, the status game, is actually about dating and relationships and online dating. But sure, I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you one at least, if you'd like, is that um, it was the "What are you doing, Julie?" scenario. And what happened was, I met someone online, and she seemed really nice. And this was in the early stages. As you're dating, just like with anything else in life, you develop rules, and the rules are to protect you from something bad happening over and over again. So uh, I, I didn't yet have the rule of you need to be completely divorced and single for a year before I would like to talk to you. Yeah. A lot of people who are separated, a lot of people who say, yeah, we're, we're divorced. We just need to f sign the paperwork and so forth. So this was one person uh -huh. and she seemed really nice. And the, uh, the short story of it, we ended up meeting in a park because she was very outdoorsy. And I thought, well, we can take a nice walk, right? And she did tell me on the dating site that she was um, basically divorced. They were separated and living in different households. And only in a month or so would they be truly divorced. So 
I met her and we were just about to go for a walk and a pickup truck showed up. And I joked on the dating site. I said, as long as your husband doesn't show up and, and take out a shotgun and, and say, ch ch get away from my wife. And well, the, 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 uh, the, the pickup truck shows up and it's a man taking his phone out filming, which appears to be above our heads. I thought it was kind of rude that he was doing that and being the, you know, timid person I am. I looked over to him and I said, hey, that guy's filming us. And she seemed nonplussed at this. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, that's my husband. And the words, that's my husband, just, I wanted to go take a shower. I just felt really dirty. Like I was on like a, an episode of Cheaters. It was just like, ugh. And so ugh. I better go talk to him. And she went to go talk to him. And the window rolled up and down and up and down. And you could see it looked like he hadn't showered in a few days. He looked terrible. I felt for the man because I didn't know the whole story. And so she went to, t uh, to talk to him and he yells at me. He says, hey, are you bill ferguson from work and i said uh, no and she said are you larry and i said no and she's and he said what's your name and i just sort of looked at him like yeah that's not going to happen and he said did you meet her on a dating site and I, I i nodded my head profusely like yes that's how i met this person thinking she's single and then he drives away and then she says, well, you know, I should probably go after him. I said, yeah, are you deleting that? And she said, yeah. So I said, well, it's been really interesting. This concludes our business. And I got in my car and I drove away and I looked in that rear view mirror the entire time until I got in my garage. Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't want any surprise visitors. Well, it, it, it's it's interesting because there's so many profiles where people say they're separated. And, and if you're separated, you shouldn't be looking. And I'm sorry, you just you should really be sorting things out. And so my rule now from that is that you need to be fully divorced and you need to have your me time of an of a year. Take a year off to find out you knew who you were. Now find out who you are, because we do change in a relationship. We become a different person because we're in a relationship and that's good. And then you can take that new person who's even better to be with the new person that you find, but you can't yank all that stuff forward that you're still sorting out. Tell us a little bit about your fiction duet and what is a fiction duet as opposed to <laughs> fiction, uh, The Sword and the Sunflower, and Thank what you. inspired that? Oh, that's okay. So uh, let, me, let me answer your questions in the reverse order. So okay. what inspired it was that I had written these four nonfiction and they were all humming along and so forth and marketing them. And, and I had been told to sort of cool it on writing, which is an odd thing to tell someone who likes writing because I needed to focus on these books because I was producing a lot of books in a short period of time, but I just, I couldn't help it. It was like the ketchup bottle where finally it gets unstuck and boom, you can't stop. Mm. I, took a walk, I took a walk in a cemetery by my house and I always joke and say it's like a park with dead people, but it, it's really, it's really, really nice, very peaceful. And my mind was unusually clear. And I was walking around and all of a sudden I heard voices. And no, I don't mean the kind of, you know, voices you're thinking of. I just heard a conversation in my head. And I went, okay, I'm listening. And I kind of played it out in my head. And I thought, that's really fascinating. And then I was sad because I thought, well, now I'm never going to see this. I wish, I wish there was a movie like this. And then I kept playing it out and I thought, oh, I guess I'd have to write this, wouldn't I? And then I started composing a poem. And so I ran home and cut my walk short. And I wrote this poem. It was like a medieval poem. It was all sing-songy and rhymey and so forth. And I thought, this is really, oh, this is an outline for a book. 
And so I thought, well, I guess I know what I'm doing now. And I started to write this epic novel called The Sword and the Sunflower. And it's set, it's a coming of age hero's journey set a thousand years in the future after something horribly catastrophic happens right now. So, the, so some really bad, I, I, you know, I see, it, I see you cringe because things started happening after I wrote this. The stuff that's recently happened in the news and so forth didn't happen until after I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Stuff started coming true that was similar. Even in the book, in po- part of the book is in the future Poland called Poliska. And they pulled down all the statues. And then all of a sudden on the news, people were pulling statues down. And I thought, okay then. So it was, it was a very it was a different reason, but a very, very interesting. And so your question about it being a duet is that's what my editor called it. It's two books. So what happened was I wrote this with a very satisfying ending, but I realized that I was only halfway through the poem. So I thought, well, I guess I need to tell the other half of the story. It doesn't come to its epic conclusion of the hero's journey. So I sat down and I was terrified because I thought this was like magic lightning in a bottle that had come out of nowhere. I'll never be able to do this again. And after the third chapter, I thought, wow, I'm back. <laughs> this is where I was before. And so I continued with it and, and wrote it and, and finished it. So um, that is the duet because it's two books. Some people refer to it as a duology, uh, but I had heard duet was typically what it was called. And then I went back because there were a lot of questions from readers wanting to know a bit about what happened during that thousand year span. So I wrote the the prequel to it called Upside Down because the world was turned upside down. And this actually explains what happens during those 1,000 years. And But you're supposed you, to read the, the sword and the sunflower first. Yes, you do yourself a disservice if you try to jump into that, even though chronologically yeah, the yeah, prequel you don't want, is correct. Yeah, right. a lot of times projects now coming out with a prequel way right. after the fact, way after right. the fact. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. that's how George Lucas did Star Wars, for goodness right. sakes, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. In fact, when he did Star Wars, he actually hadn't planned on doing a sequel. He wanted, he, Star Wars was supposed to be self-contained, didn't know uh, Vader was, his, uh, was the father. Vader was just supposed to be some hired hand guy, some kind of muscle. And then it started to change and change and change. And then suddenly it was episode four. And then he thought, uh-huh. okay, there's, there's three episodes before this I need to tell the story of. Yeah. That's, That's a interesting rendition of, of how writers work. Right. Yeah, but it's so rare that we interview a writer that that it all comes like mystically oh, well. like that. That's really wonderful it's, because it's, then it, you were like obligated to write it. You weren't searching for words. You weren't looking at a blank screen trying to type something, right? It, it was mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. It, it broke me. It broke me for fiction. It, it was the most amazing experience I'd ever had. I fell in love with the characters. I, I, it was like being in love. It was the first thing I thought of when I woke up, the last thing I thought of when I went to bed. It was oh. just utterly amazing, these people. And, and when I write, I, fiction has three aspects to it for me. And I teach this in one of my classes is that there's the conversations, which is the stuff I heard in my head where you sort of let the, let the characters talk in a way that the way that we're talking in real life, there's the reality engine, I call it, which is the, you know, if a car is going to crash into a tree, sort of, you can describe what happens to the tree and all that stuff. And then there is the framework, which is the outline. And so the framework tells you what's supposed to happen. Your reality engine plays it out. And then the characters talk about it. And if you put them in a situation that makes no sense, they're going to tell you. And in fact, that actually happened in one chapter, one of the people 
he goes through something horrible and he knows someone he cares about very deeply is going to be forced to go through that. So he says, nope, I'm done. I'm leaving. And I literally hadn't expected him to do that. But once I put him through that, I thought, yeah, he's not going to put up with that. And one of the biggest things that writers will do that really is annoying is that they will change someone's personality just to move the plot forward. Oh, he stole it. No, he didn't. He, he, and, and the audience is going, he would never do that. And so, so in this I, case, your characters talk to you and say, I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah, so they I had do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Mary's writing a book. Have you, do your people speak to you too, Mary? I wouldn't say that they go that far, but um, <laughs> it would be very nice. But um, they definitely change things that I thought, I'm writing about this today. And then, no, that's not what happens at all. It completely, mm-hmm. the scene changes, the situation changes. It just... Okay, go with it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 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 But um, I was going to say to you when you mentioned it was a hero's journey, and then you spoke about the news, I wanted to say we need heroes today. We need them. Yeah. So we, everyone we, read The Sword and the Sunflower. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, I appreciate that. We, we do. And, and I'm someone who needs to have, to sort of believe in that sort of thing. You know, the, the people doing the right thing even though it's the hard thing. And typically it always is. (laughs) The right thing is usually not the easy thing. And that's what the book is about. And it's about choices and it's about family and what what actually, what what defines family and what defines the right and the wrong thing and so forth. So there are a lot of elements to the book. There are many, many layers. I absolutely adore meeting with book clubs and talking about it. It's, it's, It's the greatest thing since sliced bread for me. I just, I love seeing the nuances that some people will pick up and some people will pick up entirely different nuances. Uh, and, and all the, all the groundwork that I laid, I just love when someone says, Hey, I noticed this, you know? And one thing I always say is that you can write a book and say the ball is blue and someone can say, Oh, I read that the ball's blue, but you can write a book and then have someone say, you know what? I realized he would do anything for her. I'm not sure I trust him, but I know he would do anything for her. And for them to pick up on nuances like that, when you don't tell them that explicitly is, is just awesome. Yeah. And they pick up on things you don't even know about. You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, Mary and I have a book group together that we've had for decades now, but oh, cool. I have two book groups. And what's very interesting is when we do the same book for both book groups, it's a different dynamic of people talking and the people in the room, you know, are going through different things while they're reading it. And the two book discussions are never even similar How cool. on the same book. They're not similar. There's either a big movement toward the book one one group might have a huge movement away from the book like we didn't like that book and i'm like wait a minute the other group read it that's not at all what they nothing what they said was the same so yeah the nuances are something because you bring yourself to what you're reading right yeah it's amazing Right. And it depends what you're receptive to. You may be hypersensitive to something because of something that happened in your past and you may recognize something instantly. I remember one person who was very quiet in one of the book groups, she spoke up and said, oh, I have this, I bet this has a lot to do with the fill in the blank. And everyone went, what are you talking about? I didn't notice that. And and it's sprinkled throughout the entire book. The clues are laid for that thing. And she was the only person that picked up on that. But to her, it was glaring in her face because it was just so obvious. Yeah. And readers read for different things. Some people Mm -hmm. read for characters. Some people read for philosophy. Some people read just to enjoy a new world. It's really interesting. And some people miss the whole point and don't even know how it came out. Oh, absolutely. And and you're like, wait a minute. 
No, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> right, and I've had the best time. So you know, I'm not a big fan of social media, but I force myself to be on Instagram mostly, and I've just had the greatest time. Uh, talking with and interacting with these bookstagrammers, people who typically, oh. you know, read read for part of that and, and, and do all these reviews. And they make these gorgeous outlays of stuff. They'll take your book and they'll make it look like it's a, a king or a queen. And they'll put, you know, candles and things around it and just make it so beautiful. And it's such <laughs> a fun thing to read their reviews because these are real people. You know, these yeah. are people who aren't being paid uh -huh. to review. They're people who, who are being honest. And when someone's honest and they really like your book and they give it five stars and they go on and on about it and how the ending was such a surprise or this or that. It's just such a cool thing. It, yeah. it makes it so worthwhile. Well, talking about another book of yours, Alchemy for Life, which you did bring up, but it outlines your formulas for success. Can you talk about that? And can you divulge a few of them? Oh, sure. Sure. So, so that was sort of the out, the, the book was sort of a physical manifestation of some of the coaching that I started to do along with the uh, podcast. So it's, it's sort of like, okay, I'm thinking of hiring a coach. I'm thinking of this. Let me grab this book first and see what this stuff is all about. So it's really nice. You know, obviously it's a fraction of the cost of hiring for someone as a coach. So, um, and I kind of treat it like it's magic items. So, you know, there's a flask on the front and it's alchemy for life. And then I have 16 formulas and two magic items I say in the book. So the book is filled with worksheets and worksheets. And that's what I like. I like getting my hands dirty. You know, I, I don't want to read this 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 book and then come away and there's like one bullet point oh thanks thanks <laughs> you know thanks for taking four hours of my life and now i gotta you could have just mentioned that in the beginning you know so i don't like fluff i wanted something to do that so one of the things in the book which i think is really interesting is you listing your failures <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. most people don't do that most people don't want to do that right we, we want to ignore that but in listing your favor failures in the way that I work it in the book, you see a, f a couple things. One of the things is that it kind of shows your direction, right? If you start, if you keep attempting this thing, there's a reason for that. There's a reason, and you may have gone, have gone out on a limb too. And even though you failed at it, you can go, wow, I actually tried that. Like I was almost an expert, an extra in Transformers 3. So, um, but, but I didn't make it, but I did stand outside in the sun for like four hours. And I, and I was thinking of everything under the sun to like tell my friends, yeah, the line was too big, whatever. But I did it. I stood in line at least. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you see from that is that a lot of the failures will lead you to success. And I interviewed so someone on my podcast who is part of a, like, like an, uh, uh, she's, she's an opera singer. And before that she had applied and applied and applied for, to get into these groups. And they were really minor groups compared to what she does now, but she had failed at all those. So you could see all that stuff she had gone to, to lead her to your path. And we forget about that. Sometimes we only remember the successes, but it's the failures that led us to the successes and the failures that showed our direction and that we tried again and again. And that's, that's huge to be able to look back on that. So that's one of the worksheets is, is a way to, is a way to look at that. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you can only think of Edison. How many times did he fail before he discovered light? <laughs> right. He actually, he actually, so that's a, that's a, that's a different subject. I'm not a, I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of Tesla, uh, Nikola <laughs> Tesla, but, but no. Edison was more of someone who gathered a lot of people together to take their inventions and patent them in his name. And oh. the light, the light bulb was already made and oh. he basically wanted to improve it. So he just, he kept taking more and more different filaments to make it a better light bulb, which is interesting, but people think of him for creating the light bulb. 
how do you try to see things from a different perspective than other people do? How, how can we be better at that? Can you address that? Well, that's a good question. Um, at first, I was going to say, well, the how of it. And then I realized that that's half of my podcast is that is sort of helping people to create this awareness of things. I think mm, the how is such a big question. But I would say, you know, altering your perspective is always helpful or not being afraid to be silly. So one of the podcasts I talk about sending a note from the future to yourself um, I know that sounds crazy, but that's one of the ways to sort of alter your perspective. And I think it's so easy to get into the rut. Just like when you get in a car and you go somewhere, you're halfway there and you go, wait, I don't remember the last few stoplights. Hold on. And you were on autopilot. And, you know, that, that happened, right? Where you're on autopilot, where you're driving, or you're doing something and you, because you sort of turned off that really cognizant part of your brain and just turned into sort of a robot for a while. And I yeah. think going above and beyond that and being at once a very high level being and a child at the same time, uh, I think can really, really help where you just go, oh, this couch is so smooth, you know, or you just, you just start to notice silly things like that where you go, wow, it's really, I really like the colors in this room, you know, something silly like that where you just delight in life and everything that that, that we see and feel and hear and smell around us, which is just, you know, where you go to a candle and you sniff it for the 50th time and go, I don't know, I just, I really like this, you know? And I think it can open up your senses in a way that going to work and coming home and watching TV can't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, tell us about your podcast. Tell us more about it. Alchemy oh, sure. for Life. You yeah, I really want to well, listen. Right? <laughs> I'm going to tune into that one. I want to hear it. So the Alchemy for Life uh, is basically the, the it, everything's under a big umbrella. So I get to kind of cheat and talk about almost anything. And I, I try to honor people's time and I try to keep it to about 10 minutes. And we typically tackle something about creativity or even business or, or just the way that life works and so forth. And also I interspersed in that are interviews with people from all over the world. And those I typically, um, allowed to go to almost an hour, depending on who I'm talking to. And I was actually one of the last people to interview um, John McAfee. The, he was the inventor of antivirus. He, was, he worked at IBM. He worked at UNIVAC. He worked at NASA. He developed all this crazy software. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. He was wanted for murder. Um, there's, there's a movie that's supposed to come out with Michael Keaton was originally supposed to play him. He was such a fascinating person to talk to. And, and just having, having those interviews were really, really, really uh, interesting. I talked to uh, Scott, Scott Adams, who you may know is the person who created Dilbert and things like that. Um, just really interesting, really interesting stuff. So I guess in a nutshell, I just try to tackle these little things in about 10 minutes. Just basically, I raise someone's awareness about something that they might not think about. And then I kind of give them a little homework. Like, so if this has happened to you, think about the two times in the past, blah, 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 things like that. It just I try to make it simple, digestible little bites, because I'm not a fan. And I'm sure you're not either of of these people who talk to themselves essentially for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very not true. really not really. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mark. I'm really appreciate your being on our, our podcast. Oh, you're, you're, so, you're so welcome. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Mark Bradford, author, inventor, 
web developer, relationship and dating expert, podcast host, speaker, and life coach. You can reach Mark on markbradford.org. And we want to remind our listeners to follow us on Instagram, on Late Boomers, and individually at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins. If you have a contact for someone that you'd like us to feature on Late Boomers, please drop us a line on lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z. Thanks again so much, Mark. You're so welcome. I'm, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was so nice to talk to both of you. for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So, here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.